Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. They have the best nose of any land animal, period. How does that compare to, like, a bloodhound, say? Because people always talk about bloodhounds. They've had this incredible Okay, uh, well, to put it in perspective, a bloodhound's nose is 150 to 300 times stronger than the average nose. The bear's nose can be upwards of 1,500 times stronger than the average human nose. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast, presented by Inland. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kyle V. What's up, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of the Ozark Podcast. You've got Kyle Veet on the mic, as always, and we are here down in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, I'm here with Adam. How's it going? That's good, man. How are you? I'm good. Thanks I'm for good. thanks for driving us down here. Yeah. You want to tell people where, where we're at? Yeah, we're at the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission's office in Fort Smith. Regional office. Regional office. Regional we were talking about that on the way down. How many, or what's the nearest office to here? Well, the nature center is just as a crow flies about two hundred yards. Okay, the woods. Okay, <laughs> so real close. <laughs> so, yeah, we're practically next door to the Janet Huckabee Nature Center. Okay, gotcha. Nice. It was a it was a really pretty drive down here. All the leaves are changing, and we were getting to see that driving down here from Tommy Town. Yeah, it's got me itching. Every tree line I see as I'm cruising down, I'm like, someone needs to be in that tree line. Yeah, that. yeah. We're so. big deer hunters. Oh, yeah. 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 But we, tis the season. Tis yeah. the season. <laughs> uh, and, and it's also, it's not just deer season, um, and that's why we're down here today to talk with our guest. Uh, we are joined by Myron Means, who is the statewide large carnivore program coordinator. That's it. Did I get that right? You nice. did. Myron, thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast and having us down here. Thanks uh, for coming. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So let's just start with what what does the large carnivore program coordinator do? Uh, what does that mean? Well, basically what it means is uh, I take care of the bear program and the mountain lion program for game and fish. And up until, oh, I don't know, probably about 12 years ago, it was really just kind of the bear program. I was a statewide bear biologist. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the about the time when mountain lions started kind of being visible through people with game camera pics or something like that. So, I mean, the agency had to do something to start monitoring that species whenever we had sightings that we could verify or something like that. And even though it was very mild or meager at that time, we were getting one verification every couple of years or something, we still had to have a platform. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so our chief at the time uh, said, hey, you get to be the mountain lion coordinator as well. And yeah. I said, well, if it doesn't come with a raise, at least let me pick my own title. Yeah, there you go. So uh, I got to uh, basically name my title or name my program. So that's how it became, and from the bear program coordinator to the large carnivore program coordinator. Gotcha. So if you had to divide up your duties and kind of how you spread across <laughs> bear versus mountain lion, where would you where would you put that kind of percentage? I'd say about ninety eight percent bear yeah. still, <laughs> okay. and maybe two percent mountain lion. And the two so. percent is just people sending you pictures, <laughs> yeah, asking, is just this a, is this documenting a and monitoring. Okay. I mean, uh, so you know, we'll uh, we'll we will do a field investigation if there is physical evidence, but there has to be physical evidence at the at a scene, okay. uh, whether it be a track uh, scat that we're certain uh, some type of predation. Or, uh, you know, a game camera photo. So we'll go out and do a field investigation. Yes, it was taken here. This picture was. Or, yes, that is a mountain lion cache. And, or, no, it's not. And uh, But, I mean, honestly, we, we managed to uh, go out on probably one field investigation a year. Maybe. Oh, really? Maybe. So it just doesn't happen all that often? No. Gotcha. What do you do on those? Is it at nighttime, daytime? Or are you just survey in the area no it's, it's a daytime okay. what you're doing is it's just a, an investigation you're trying to gather more evidence or verification that you know you you take the game camera photo out and yeah the picture oh, was okay. on that tree you try to get a perspective on it try to get a scale on it i mean most of the time like 98 99 percent of the time when i get a picture a game camera picture and they think it's a mountain lion if it is a mountain lion it's pretty obvious. Okay. I mean, you know, yeah. it's obvious to me. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like you're going out there looking for the mountain lion to no. prove that it's there. No. You're just making sure that it's it's legitimate evidence and there right. was a mountain lion here at one right. time. Okay. That picture was taken from that camera at that location. Okay, that makes Basically, sense. Basically, you're just taking in all the cues of the scene because... I mean, there's a lot of hoaxes going around the internet, and you know, someone said that their brother, sister's, yeah, mother-in-law got this, you know, and it ends up being a camera that's been float or a picture that's been floating around the internet for <laughs> six years, yeah. you know. I think half my family has seen <laughs> and heard a mountain lion, yeah. but yeah. most from, people in Arkansas have. So, <laughs> have you confirmed any sightings this year so far? Not, uh, not this year. Okay, not this year we had two last year. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Which, I mean, it could have been the same cat, you know. Yeah. So. Was it in a pretty nearby region? Is that why you say that? or? You know, I can't really remember off my hand. I think one of the sightings was in the Beta County, and I'm trying to remember where the other sighting was. Um, the earlier sighting, mm-hmm. like three or four months earlier. And I can't really remember off the top of my head. I mean, they're so infrequent that, you know, I usually don't commit a lot of them to memory. But, uh, you know, back in, uh, I believe it was 2014, our only physical evidence of a mountain lion was one that was shot by a deer hunter in Bradley County uh, at the end of October, Okay, I believe it was. Yeah. Or maybe at the first part of November during the gun season. Yeah, it was the first part of November during the gun season. It was shot in Bradley County, right? Okay. It was indeed a, an adult male mountain lion. We pulled DNA off of it and everything else, sent it to a lab. That mountain lion was had killed a goat in Marion County 
less than two months prior to that. No way. Cash the goat. We went up and got game camera pictures of it returning wow. to the cache and collected hair at the scene, sent that hair off to the lab, Rocky Mountain Research Institute. It come back the same cat. No way. Now, it's not just, you know how DNA evidence is. It's not like, well, it's one in 100,000 that's the same cat. Right. No. It's like one in a hundred quadrillion that it's not the same cat. Wow. And so, you know, a lot of people can't really associate that. That cat went all the way across the state. Yeah, how two far months, is that? Less than two months. Well, Marion County borders Missouri. Yeah, okay. Bradley County is one county up from Louisiana. Oh, my gosh. And that so, was in I mean, two months? Less than two months. Holy smokes. Yeah, so, I mean. So, whenever you get all these pictures and confirmed no. sightings, you're not really sure it could be, you know, a handful of, and typically they're male cats that we see. Yeah, here. I mean, that's to, to, the, to, to this day, that is the only evidence we have of the mountain lions that do or might exist in the state for however long. The evidence that we have says they are most likely transient males. Okay. Now, they could be young adults or old adult males, but they're transient males. Mm. And what a lot of people really don't understand about mountain lions is the fact that in a, in a given established population like the Black Hills, like out in the panhandle of Oklahoma, like down in South Texas, where they have established mountain lion populations, and those would be some of our closest, uh, you know, the, the females aren't the ones that have to disperse out of those populations. Those populations are more than happy to have the females stay right there. Right. So there's no inner competition between them. The animals that have to get or pushed out of a population are always the young males. Mm. So they get pushed out of a population. Same thing happens with bears. And because there's not a breeding else. population for, or there's not a young enough female for it to breed with? Well, they can't breed with them. The males will keep them from breeding with them. The males will keep them pushed out of a population. Gotcha. So what these young males always do is go strike out on their own to find their own little place in the world. Gotcha. And because mountain mm. lions can travel hundreds or hundreds and hundreds of miles, there's three things that mountain lion or any wild animal, you know, they there's three things they live for, cover, food, and procreation. So in the absence of any of those in any part of the world, if they don't have all three, they're not going to stay. They'll keep moving. Right. And so, you know, if a mountain lion comes through the Dakotas and ends up in the upper Missouri River, falls the Missouri River corridor down into Missouri, goes across Missouri, hits the Ozarks, comes down through the Ozarks. I mean, you know, conceivably a mountain lion could make that trek in a year, wow. a few months, maybe two years by the time he winds up in Arkansas. Man. Say if he was in the Ozarks like that Marion County cat was. Yeah. You know, hey, there's food and cover and everything just abundant. Yeah. It's a great place to live. The only problem is there's no girls. Yeah. Mm. And so they're not going to stay. They're mm. going to go until they find a mate. That's what they live for. Is there a possibility you can kind of narrow it down to where, you know, a mountain lion came from geographically or regions? Yeah, we did. Uh, the DNA evidence from that cat uh, had origins from the South Dakota population. Wow. Now, that doesn't mean it was necessarily born in South Dakota. could have been born in north central 
uh, Nebraska, could have mm-hmm. been could have been born in Missouri even though they don't even have any evidence of a breeding population. Okay. Who knows where it was born? All it says is the ancestry came from that Black Hills population. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So you guys actually work with other states and, and kind of compare evidence oh, and yeah. DNA and yeah. you share data? Well, I mean, we compare evidence of monitoring like mountain lion populations. Like my counterpart from Missouri, you know, we would talk all the time either about bears or mountain lions or anything like that, you know. And it's kind of interesting if you look at Missouri, you know, they're they're kind of the middleman in between us and what would most likely be the most prominent population, which is the South Hills population. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or the Black Hills population of South Dakota. And so, you know, we've had twenty or so verifications in the past ten years. Missouri's had about three times that many. Wow. In the past fifteen years. Yeah. So, so they're getting they're getting away from their home range a little bit, and maybe finding a, another female somewhere along the way. Well, they're looking. They're looking. Yeah. Now, they're who knows where they'll find one? Running yeah. the wrong direction. It sounds like <laughs> so they'll just keep looking and yeah. and looking, and it doesn't matter about climate really. Like mountain lions, not really. Do they need mountains no. or altitude or no. cool? Wow. Well, I mean, you got the Florida panther. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that is an established population. It's right. a subspecies, but I mean. You know, could conceivably, could one make it from the South Dakota to Florida? Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they tracked one. Where They had one collared that ended up in Connecticut or someplace mm. like that. Went like 1,200 miles. No way. From South Dakota? Yeah. Wow. So, so whenever your boss came or whoever it was and said, you're going to take over mountain lions, were you knowledgeable about it at all? Or no. did you just, like, have to go reach out no. to people and read? And <laughs> No, I wasn't at all. I mean, you know, as a biologist, I knew about mountain yeah. lions. Yeah. But, I mean, I really didn't have any uh, – I just really didn't have any deep knowledge of mountain lions. So he wasn't like, Myron, he knows mountain lions. We're going to no. put him No, on that's it. not why I was <laughs> yeah. assigned it, you know. So uh, it's kind of interesting that you asked that because it was a couple of years into the – pro, or three or four years into the program, and – I told uh, our chief, I said, you know, it's kind of odd that the mountain lion coordinator really doesn't know that much about mountain lions. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not like we got a bunch to work with. Right, yeah, you don't have the same. And so size. I went on a field trip. Me and a couple of other biologists went on a field trip up to South Dakota's. In the month of December, they tree and shoot cats, lions, with little DNA darts. It collects a tissue plug. Mm. And they collect a DNA sample, and that's what they use to run through their population counts to give a population estimate. Oh, cool. Instead so, of harvesting a mountain lion, they do right, that. Right, <laughs> right. They can collect a tissue sample without, you know, without killing the lions yeah. or anything like that. So I thought, man. Uh, and at the time, my counterpart in Missouri went up and did that a few years earlier. Okay. And he said, man, you got to do this. Try Some it. of the coolest stuff you've ever seen. Oh, so, yeah, scary. we went up there for a week, a little over a week, and uh, ran around with their houndsmen and treeing mountain lions and collecting DNA tissue. And Dude. that was probably one of the coolest things I've ever that done with Game awesome. of Fish. It was, it was a, an eye-opening experience. I had a completely different perspective about mountain lions after that what was one of the the takeaways from going to a place where it's so rich and dense in mountain lion population well one of the takeaways uh probably my biggest takeaway was you know i've kind of always had it in my mind that mountain lions were real elusive and reclusive and things like that and 
you know, in those established populations like uh, Custer, uh, South Dakota, it was, uh, we'd be driving through there and the guy would say, yeah, you know, you, you know how those mountain towns are. One road goes right through the yeah. middle and the mountains go up and yeah. you can see one side of town to the other. Mm-hmm. And we were driving down through town and he said, yeah, you see that trailer house over there? A young lion came down and grabbed a lab and that guy's yard and drug it over under this guy's wow. house over here. And Oh, yeah, you see that bar up there on the side of the road, you know? He said, one evening, the guy had a buck in the back of his truck and was in there drinking a beer, and a mountain lion come down to the bar and drug the deer oh, out of his truck. I mean, yeah. so... I Lots of like, stories. These these mountain lions don't have any issues with just going up in someone's yard and grabbing their dog and eating it. Yeah, jeez. And mountain lions prefer domestic dogs and cats. Prefer? Yeah. They're uh, like... Cats, domestic cats, are mountain lion delicacies. It's like, what? It's like a treat. How did they find this out? <laughs> have a buffet line of animals. And, yeah. Wow. So, so real quick, going back to you, someone shot one a few years back here. Yeah. Is it legal to shoot a mountain no. lion here? No. Okay. So, no, they're a non-game animal, which means by virtue of not having a game season. They are protected under Arkansas's regulations. Okay. Anything that doesn't have a game season in it is actually a protected species by virtue of not being a game gotcha. species. Gotcha. So, I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's a snake or a turtle or a mountain lion or a possum. It doesn't matter. And that would be different. Well, possums than... have a fur bearer season. So. Yeah. But what about like um, like pigs, hogs? Well, they're are not those considered in... wildlife. They're not considered wildlife? No. Okay. They're an escaped They're a domesticated scourge. animal? Well, I mean, they don't have a classification as wildlife. Okay. They have a classification as a feral, like you say, a domestic animal, a feral animal. Okay. Which isn't wildlife. Mm. That's why there's technically no season. Right. You know, on hogs. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're just invasive. They're mm-hmm. a feral animal. What about treating it from like a predator control standpoint? Mountain lions or right. hogs? Mountain lions. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of things that people don't understand about bears and mountain lions alike, you know, is they have a right in Arkansas to defend their livestock or persons against any wildlife. Doesn't matter what it is. Mm, okay. So if they were out, you know, a sheep farmer was out there and he saw a mountain lion attacking a sheep, could he shoot the mountain lion? Absolutely he could. Or if the same thing, if you saw a coyote attacking this sheep or anything, they have a right to protect their livestock against any wildlife. Gotcha. Same thing with bear. Yeah, so. gotcha. Okay. So was that guy protecting any livestock? No. <laughs> Did he get a, a hefty he, ticket, but also a pat on the back not. for the DNA and the, yeah. <laughs> the no, research? Unfortunately not. Gotcha. Oh. Well, so I, I, I'm kind of curious now. Say, so you've got these transient males, and they're coming down from, from wherever. They're mm-hmm. coming down from South Dakota through Missouri, um, more than likely. Has it ever been considered, or, or is it even something that um, would be in the state of Arkansas's interest to try to reintroduce a breeding population and, say, bring in a female um, to be here so that when those transient males get here, there is that, there's that third piece that they're looking for? No. Okay. No, I mean, it's, uh, there have been some discussions with the Fish and Wildlife Service about reintroduction of red bulls. Okay. You know, and that's really kind of a, 
a whole separate issue that has probably more to do with uh, genotypes and and you know true uh, the true genetic makeup of a red wolf, you know, and those kind of issues associated with that. But would it be would Arkansas consider bringing in something like female mountain lions or something like that to establish a population? More than likely not. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that's a hot, hot button and a big can of worms to open. Yeah. And it, it, it would be like a controversial thing because they're oh, seen as a, yes. a scary predator, yeah. basically. That would change the whole... Well, I mean, if you remember back, you can look at what kind of uh, what kind of battle that the uh, Fish and Wildlife Service was up against when they reintroduced gray wolves into Yellowstone. Mm. I mean, that was a monumental... Mm-hmm. Uh, battle, yeah, to reintroduce them in there, and it's just you know, I mean, uh, Arkansas more or less has the game and fish more or less probably has the attitude that hey, if one shows up, you know, if a female shows up by some chance, and we do have a proof of an established breeding population, you know, we'll manage them, right? Because I mean, that's what we're charged to do, managing the wildlife of the state, yeah. So, uh, but to to wade off into that. Uh, intentionally, yeah. That's a boy. That's a. That's a <laughs> we don't want to get Myron in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get you in trouble. I'm walking. I'm trying yeah. to walk a delicate line there, but I, hear you, uh, I mean, I you know, you. as far as wildlife yeah. and ecosystems, yeah, it'd be a great thing. But yeah. you know, I mean, when it boils right down to it, you know, we're beholding to the people of, of Arkansas. Those are our stakeholders. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, so we we talked about mountain lions. I I know. Like you said, ninety eight percent of your job is actually very ninety nine, yeah, ninety nine percent. But so. it's so intriguing. <laughs> it is interesting because everyone's everyone's seen one or heard one. Yeah, or, but you're or saying s- that so they say. Yeah. Most likely they didn't. Well, it's kind of you know, I, I'm this never going to tell anybody they story. didn't yeah. see what they think they saw or yeah, heard. Right. But I can tell you, out of the hundred and twenty to maybe a hundred and fifty sightings that we get a year. Out of those, maybe half of them will be game camera pics that people send me. And uh, so, you know, 60 to 80 pictures people send me, uh, they're house cats yeah. or bobcats or yellow labs mm. or really? gray foxes. I mean, <laughs> yellow uh, lab. and, you know, when it boils right down to it, like I was saying earlier, we're on average, we're able to verify one sighting a year. A year, wow. yeah. Maybe yeah, one. If that. If that. If that. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, that's definitely going to ruin some family stories and <laughs> yeah. old folklore around here for some folks. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't profess to tell anybody that they didn't see what they think they saw. Yeah. No, I'm just telling you what the facts are. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's talk bears then because I, I do want to focus on that. It's obvi- it is bear season, and I know you've yes. got some research projects and stuff that you want to talk about yes. too. Um, but – Adam and I, we were driving down here, and we were just kind of talking, like, what what do we know about bear? Like, you know, we respect Not a lot. We respect bears. You know, you, you yeah. know they're here. We have a, a decent population, I think, um, in the state of Arkansas and, and in the Ozarks. And so there's some base level of knowledge that we feel like we have. But then the more we talk about it, we're like, you know, I don't even really know <laughs> hardly anything. Yeah. So we need to ask Myron. Uh, so we just kind of wanted to start with, like, what are some – 
some basic facts about bears in, in the state of Arkansas. And, and maybe we start with like the history of, of bears in the state yeah. and kind of work that into like current day uh, populations. If you okay. Will. So I'll whittle this down to maybe, maybe two minutes. So, you know, back in the time of settlement, 17 and 1800s, you know, Arkansas was unofficially known as the Bear State. And they were known as the Bear State because we thought we may have had as many as 50,000 black bears in the state. Who knows if it was 20, 30, 50, or 100. Yeah, who knows? You know, nobody <laughs> really kept have notes to... back then. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, through settlement, when Arkansas became established, uh, you know, Arkansas had a commodity, a couple of really instrumental commodities to, uh, you know, the U.S. becoming civilized, so to speak. One of them was timber. And the other one was really uh, 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 bear fat or oil. Mm, Okay. And what better place to get oil than the bear state, you know, from rendered down from bear fat. And so that was really kind of a thriving trade at the time of settlement and post-settlement for a couple of hundred years. And... uh, Lo and behold, by the time the 1900s rolled around, you know, bears were almost extirpated from the whole state. They were almost hunted out because of market hunting, unregulated mm-hmm. hunting wow. for the resource. And what, what year did you say that was? Well, I mean, by the late 1800s, early 1900s, okay. they were almost extirpated from the state. Gotcha. And in the late 20s, the General Assembly of Arkansas made it illegal to kill a bear in the state. And uh, by 1951, a man named Trustin Holder did a land survey of the state, and he found that the only remaining native population of bears existed in the lower White River drainage. Okay. And thought we may have had 50 bears down there. And so, you know, that was probably a pretty thorough land survey of the state. However, I'm sure that there were some, a few scattered bears in the Ozarks and Marshitals that were still left. That, but they were so few, you just, you just never recognized them. So in 1958 through 1968, a 10-year period, Game and Fish worked out a deal with Minnesota DNR and Manitoba Wildlife Resources and brought back 254 bears wow. and reintroduced them into the Ozarks and Washitaws. From that reintroduction effort in the late 50s and 60s, the population, the forest had grown back up from being cut over, and it was good, mature enough forest at that time, a great habitat, and the bear populations thrived. They thrived to such a point that roughly 20 years later, after that reintroduction effort in 1980, Game and Fish reopened a bear season in Arkansas. Just 20 years later. Just 20 years later. Wow. Wow. So that marked the first modern-day bear season. Bear season rocked along for another 20 years, and we figured out by 2000 that incidental harvest of bears, in other words, people are out deer hunting, bear season's open, they can shoot a bear. Uh, Incidental bear hunting was not getting us the amount of harvest that we needed. So we had to do something different. Okay. 2001, we allowed baiting for bear on private land only, and that's still the regulation today. Right. But that harvest strategy, management strategy in 2001 was historical because that elevated bear hunting in the state. It elevated our harvest numbers where we needed them to kind of start leveling out that population. 
And then, uh, so you fast forward that to 20 years later, and in certain parts of the state, the population is still expanding. Uh, actually, in all the population, all the bear populations, the Ozarks, Washita's, the White River, the Felsenthal, they're all expanding still. And they've expanded so much in the Gulf Coastal Plain that 20 years after that earmark uh, management strategy in 2001, this year we reopened bear season in the Gulf Coastal Plain of the state. Really? So if you kind of look back in a synopsis, the management history of bears in Arkansas is really kind of odd. But yeah, it's really kinda, everything. It it's really kind of neat. Yeah. I mean, you we've hit these, we've continued to hit these 20-year milestones in the management of yeah. this species. And they're still it's just, I mean, they're a high-profile game species. It's still a, a really high-profile fo- program with the agency. It's really kind of our flag, one of our flagship species yeah, absolutely. as far as what good conservation and management can do. Yeah, so is bears just an, an easier, I guess, species to maintain and manage, or did, was it just executed really well from Arkansas? It was executed really well. Okay. Really well. I mean, it seems like they ran them all out to where there was fifty. Then you only brought in two hundred <laughs> yeah. from Manitoba and wherever. Yeah, two hundred fifty-four, and up to the population we have today. Right. That's that's. And you know, I mean, really, it's such a success story. It's still to this day considered the most successful reintroduction of a large carnivore anywhere in the history of natural really? resources. That's awesome. Right, and, uh, right here in the state of Arkansas. Right here in the state of Arkansas. Wow. I mean, it was more successful than the gray wolf program before the gray wolf program even got started, you know, back in Yellowstone. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, it's a flagship. It's just an iconic species for game and fish, conservation-wise, species-wise. And, I mean, Arkansas attributed to Oklahoma having such a robust bear population. They've had a season now for over 10 years. Missouri just opened their bear season last year. Mm. And so, I mean, we've managed to populate not only Arkansas and most of Arkansas, but all the other states surrounding. Yeah, it. expanded I, outside of the state line. I yeah. had a bear on our. I, I'm from Oklahoma, Kansas state line, and on my deer yeah. hunting property, I had a bear, and I saw claw mark. Like, I'm like, that looks like a dang bear <laughs> bear paw, and my cousin's yeah. like, no. And then the neighbor was like. I know you got pictures of that bear. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. thought I was hiding it from him, like oh, I've been getting yeah. him on. But anyways, yeah. yeah, there was one that it was seen in Neosho up in Missouri. Oh, and wow. then a couple of weeks later, there was one, you know, over there in Kansas. So I just imagined it's the same one. Yeah. But that's probably a youngster looking for a home. Yeah, that's, you know? what, that's what everyone was saying. But so do they, do, um, do bear kind of, you, you said might be a youngster do they kind of have the same kind of travel habitats as like a mountain lion would they really do especially the young males i mean mom kicks them out uh she will kick them out when they're roughly a year and a half old we call them yearlings at that point she'll kick them drive them away in usually late april or may of a given year that's every that's the second year into a reproduction cycle but she drives them away in late april and may kicks them out of the nest and, uh, you know, she doesn't allow them to stay in her home range or territory uh, as an inbreeding defense mechanism. The other big males that dominate landscapes have home ranges. They don't want them around. Right. And so, honestly, these young male bears, just like young mountain lions, they'll spend the first, uh, bears will spend the first 
three to four, maybe even five years of their life roaming around, just nomads. Wow. And they won't actually set up shop and establish a home range in a territory until they're big enough to defend it. Mm. And that means big enough to defend it against other dominant males. Okay. So it's always a social hierarchy battle, you know, with wildlife species. And uh, so, you know, can these young male bears travel hundreds of miles, you know, before they eventually set up shop somewhere? Sure. Yeah. Which I guess attribute, you know, that's why we see those populations expanding that's exactly outside the right. state. That's exactly right. Gotcha. And they and they kind of operate off the same three basic needs. Yes. Cover, food, and procreation. procreation. Gotcha. That's right. Gotcha. That's right. I mean, you know, uh, but bears bears have really large home ranges anyway. Okay. I mean, you know, an adult male in Arkansas, like the Ozarks, may have a home range of 15, 18 square miles. Wow. That's what I was going to ask. How many would you say, like, will they just go around breeding as many as they can, or mm-hmm. is it just a few a year? No. Wow. Well, I mean, it takes a certain uh, period to trigger that male has to be in her presence for 72 hours. The breeding season in Arkansas is May to late July or August. Okay. And so, you know, a male has to be in the presence of a female for 72 hours, trigger her to come into estrus, and during that estrus cycle, he will breed with her several times. Other males will come in, and they'll fight for breeding rights. And so, you know, it's a it's a big mess during mm-hmm. the breeding season. I mean, you know, males are fighting males. Males are traveling far and wide. They may travel 20 miles in a day just looking for females. Wow. Jeez. And mm-hmm. and they're, they get, I assume they get very aggressive. And is that when you're... You're kind of doing your projects, research projects right around that time. Like, you're- Well, I mean, they get aggressive with other males for sure. Okay. And, you know, we've had a couple of periods where I've caught females in snares before when we're doing research projects in the summer. Uh-huh. And if you catch a female in a snare and she may have a, you know, willing male that's, you know, right there beside oh, yeah. her. And uh, believe it or not, yeah, they can get pretty protective. I mean, I've I've had times where it's pretty darn hard to drive the male away mm-hmm. and get them to leave. And if you can get them to leave the site so you can work up the female, most of the time they're going to be out there within eye shot of you or something like that. And you, know, you can hear them popping their jaws out there. Yeah. And, you know, they just, um, it's serious to them. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. <laughs> I've, I don't know how you do it, man. I'd be scared. Of yeah, that. that's one thing we were talking about on the way down. Like, are there bear attacks in Arkansas that aren't provoked? Uh, we've had a few over history, uh, two or three. But, okay. uh, you know, as far as a, a, what most people can see, a true predatory bear attack, mm-hmm. no, we've never had okay. one in Arkansas. Now they have had. And some of the Northwest countries or even like up in Canada, so are the Canadian provinces, they have had legitimate black bear predatory attacks, you know. And uh, actually, black bear predatory attacks are more common than brown bear predatory attacks. Really? Really? Yeah. Because I, I just always heard that those are the more aggressive, mean, you know, stay away well, from Well, I mean, you know, there's there's a there's a huge difference in between bears acting like bears, doing bluff charges especially sows, you know, with cubs doing bluff charges or huffing or popping their jaws. A big difference between that type of behavior and predatory behavior. Predatory behavior is 
it's a different behavior of a bear. I mean, they're walking you down, they're sizing you up, they're not super aggressive. It's always there seems like they're just following you. They're and they're sizing you up. If you watch some of the doc, some of the videos like on YouTube about predatory black bear behavior, it's spooky. Mm, uh-huh. It's spooky. And you just don't see that. Is that because they're hungry usually or just like want you out of there? No, it's it's because they're hungry. Yeah. I mean, they have every intention of sizing you up and if they think they will, you know, they're going to attack you to kill you and yeah. eat you. Yeah. I mean, it, predatory behavior is uh, you can you can look some of it up on YouTube. It's it's a different behavior, and yeah. it's just behavior that we don't see in Arkansas. Gotcha. gotcha. You know, our bear Good populations aren't that dense. We don't have that much bear human inter, interaction. You know, uh, most of the bears that we have in the state, I say most, most of the bears that we have in the state still have a pretty good innate fear of people. Yeah. You know, they don't have so much interaction with people like the national parks yeah. like yellowstone where they have just completely lost their fear of people yeah there's just people always around yeah yeah and you know we just don't have that in arkansas mm. i remember i so i grew up in fort smith and um i remember gosh i had to be like eight or nine and i think that there was a black bear sighting in the park yeah it had climbed up a tree Probably and the one in Creekmore. It was in Creekmore Park. You're yeah. exactly right. <laughs> that was right down the road from my house. Myron probably went down there to. No, I you probably were the one. I knew about it when it happened. I remember seeing that, and I was like, "That's that's bizarre." And I was young, so I didn't really think yeah. too much about it. But I just remember. So that was a bear that basically. What well, what would cause a bear to do that to come out in the I'll public? Tell, like I'll tell that. you what the history was on that particular bear. I don't know if you know where Havana, Arkansas, is, but it's down east of Blue Mountain Lake. Okay. And uh, there was a cornfield down there that had a lot of bear crop damage on that cornfield. It's right at the base of Pettigene Mountain, and all these bears were coming out of the mountain and tearing up this cornfield at the base of the mountain. So Game and Fish went down there and started trapping bears. And this was, you know, this was 20 years ago when we relocated bears. And uh, <clears throat> they, uh, we had this one particular male and we trapped him and moved him like 10 miles. And then we trapped him again down there a couple of days later and moved him like 50 miles mm-hmm. or 70 miles. We took him all the way across the Arkansas River and dumped him out up in the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. And it was like four days later when he showed up in Fort Smith. <laughs> yeah. He was trying to make his way back is what he was doing. Oh, okay. He just took a wrong right turn yeah. Yeah. and yeah. ended up in Fort Smith. In Creekmore Park. Yeah, <laughs> in Creekmore Park. <laughs> he was trying to get out of town, but he just couldn't <laughs> figure out how to do it, you know, like Bug says that took a left at Albuquerque. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so gotcha. That bear was actually trying to make it back. Yeah, that is interesting. So, would you rule out? So, for instance, a couple of years ago, I'm not used to hunting in Arkansas, so I've never hunted around bear. Mm-hmm. And I just recently have started. I shot a doe. I was gutting the doe, and I was spooked out because I knew that there was a bunch of bears around, <laughs> and there's a steep cliffside, and I just heard, you know, it's probably a squirrel. But I just kept hearing something get closer, so I went back to the truck to turn lights on and everything. But is that ever a case like, you know, big, stinky, bloody deer that you're cleaning or field dressing? Do the bear ever want to eat that since they are carnivores? I'm sure they would want to eat it. Now, whether they would come up and try to move you off of it to Mm -hmm. eat it is extremely doubtful. I won't say that it won't happen. But if they did smell it, I mean, you know, a bear could smell a gut pile probably a mile and a half away. Yeah. A mile and a half. Oh, absolutely. They have wow. the best nose of any land animal, period. Really? Yes. 
Really? How does that compare to like a bloodhound, say? Because people always talk about bloodhounds. They've had this incredible. Okay. Uh, well, to put it in perspective, you know, uh, a bloodhound's nose is 150 to 300 times stronger than the average nose, your most, your average canine nose. Okay. Oh. Okay. The bear's nose can be upwards of 1,500 times stronger than the average human nose. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So so, so a mile and a half is like... Uh, this, this is just kind of a technical note to all you avid bow hunters and uh-huh. muzzleload hunters and deer hunters. Yeah. And if you think you're going to buy the latest and greatest scent products <laughs> to beat the scent on a bear, mm-hmm. you're not going to do it. Yeah. It's just Period. Not, not going to happen. You're not going to do it. Yeah. that That's another question wow. I had, too. Like, <laughs> so, people that go, insane. you know, you have bear on camera. They're there during the day. All the time you're baiting them. They're, right. you know, around here. But it seems like every time you go to hunt them, they never show up. <laughs> Is it because, you know, I've heard they, they live close enough. They're, they're actually watching you walk to the tree. Or well, they can smell everything. Well, they can smell everything, but you know what a lot of it is, is um, I kind of learned some baiting techniques back from Brian Bachman, who used to be the uh, founder of the North American Bear Foundation. So when we went and and brought up the question about the regulations in 2001 about allowing baiting on private land, you know, we brought him down here and we had some long discussions with him about what are, you know, some of the pitfalls of baiting. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so, I mean, uh, and we learned a lot from him. And one of the things that I learned from him, because he had been doing it for 20 years up in Minnesota. And uh, he uh, he said, the thing that you have to do is you have to let the bears pattern you. In other words, so if you start a baiting routine and you're going to do this for 30 days prior to a season, you know, you go in at the, roughly the same time, you do the same thing, and you do it every time you go in and bait. Mm. And you're letting, you literally are letting the bears pattern you and your behavior around that barrel. And so what I would do is I would do, I may bait every other day. And so when it came opening day, I would go in there on my four-wheeler just like normal if I had a hunter with me. I'd get off, I'd bang around on the bait barrel, I'd send them up the tree, and I would leave. You're letting and, them hear you. Yeah. Let, let You're them letting know. them know I'm there. Same old, same old. Same old, same old. Uh. And, and so I would leave, and many, many times they would have a bear on the ground within an hour. Because they're like, oh, homeboy came and fed us. Well, I mean, time to go eat. they're like, oh, <laughs> it's, it's Tuesday. <laughs> Myron's here. I mean, Myron, I mean, that's exactly what you guys did, right? <laughs> yeah. So one of yeah. the guys we do the podcast with, Kyle, he he bear hunted for the first time last year. And yeah. that's exactly what we did. And yeah. we had, you know, heard from people and he had mm-hmm. reached out to Clay Newcomb and yep. got that same kind of advice. And right. it was, don't go in, don't try to be quiet. Like, no. let them know you're there. Let them know right. that you're feeding them and then take off. So that's what I dropped Kyle off. He climbed up the tree and I drove off just like normal. And that's it worked. Right. It works. Man, it does. Crazy. And what, you know, the mistake that a lot of people will make is they don't have a frequent baiting routine or their schedule may not allow it. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, but what what is the abnormal activity around that bait site is every time they go in to bait it, whether it be once a week, once every 10 days, or once every three days, it was always in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, here comes opening day, 
and at 5 a.m., mm. they hear yeah. Hey, I haven't heard that at 5 a.m. before. Yeah. What's going on? You know, something's mm-hmm. kind of funny up with that bait site. Instead of just walking right into it at 7 o'clock in the morning, I think I may skirt around a couple of hundred yards downwind of it and check it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when that happens, the jig is up. They got you. Yeah. They're picking up your scent. So, so, when, so when you're in a tree and you are hunting, they're, they're going to smell you when mm-hmm. you're there. Uh, especially if they're downwind, but I'm just assuming they're going to smell you. So the times that they go ahead and come on in, they're just going to, they're deciding to come in because, yeah, right. I smell him because I thought he was here earlier and he and he fed. And he well, died. they're going to smell if you've been there earlier. Maybe if you were there three days earlier, maybe they're not going to smell you so much, but they're okay. going to associate any of that smell with it. And you know, a lot of times if people have established bear trails coming up to stand, mm-hmm. they're going to put their stand location hopefully on the prevailing downwind side of that trail. Right. And bears are very habitual animals. You know, this bear's been coming to this bait site at 10 a.m. every day for the past two weeks, and he's been walking down the same trail, putting his feet in the same holes. And so they're very habitual in their nature. Wow. So if they get comfortable doing something like that, yes, you know, you got the stand set in the right place, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have you don't have a bad wind for your barrel, and you've got everything, all the planets line up. That bear's going to come in there just like he has been doing. Yeah. But, you know, you set your stand up for a southwest prevailing wind, and all of a sudden, opening day, you get a north wind. Mm. You know how it is in Arkansas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, I'm going to go hunt that. Maybe the bear won't smell me. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to smell you. Yeah, It's just whether or not they're young and dumb enough to go ahead mm-hmm. and come to your barrel. Because I can assure you the older, more mature bears, the bears that have lived any length of time at all, no, they're going to bust you and yeah. the jig is up. They're not coming And in. they're not going to come in. And they won't come back. So, so well, I hear, are they, they, they pretty spooky? they might come back at night okay. after they've circled that bait site, you know, 300 yards away. Okay. You know, so, I mean. I just have always heard bears are spooky. Like, if you mess it up and they you bump them or, or they see you or they get a, you know, they catch wind of you. Yeah, they're probably not going to come back while you're hunting because they're, no. they've got you figured out. Or no, something. no, they learn quick. And I mean, bears, uh, you know, they're, they're just, they, they literally, they live by their noses mm. and they just, that's just the only way to describe it. And especially a lot of these older, mature bears, adults and uh, males and females like, I mean, a bear can live 25 years, oh, you know, really? So you got to figure some of these big dominant males that are 300, 400, 500 pounds, you know, they may be 15 years old. Yeah. They didn't get to live 15 years in the wild by being stupid. Right. Yeah. And that's why a lot of them are nocturnal and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I mean, they're they're extremely long-lived animals. Uh, you know, like I say, they can live 25 years. They can reproduce, have active reproductive life. All the way up until their early twenties as a female. Jeez. What's the what's the biggest bear ever harvested or recorded in the state? I don't know. I've heard of a couple of different bears over six hundred. Jeez. So, How tall would that be? Oh. Like standing up. Stand up Eight on the side of it'd probably be seven feet. Seven Jeez. feet. Yeah. Goodness gracious. So before baiting, or let's say you wanted to go out and track down a bear, hunt a bear, mm-hmm. and kill a bear. How do you do that? 
if does it take a lot of time in the woods but then they'd also know you're there you know if you're trying to track them well i mean it does uh, you know that's not to say a lot of people like jonathan wilkins uh, i was telling you about mm -hmm. earlier you know he there's a lot of people out there that don't have private land to bait on right. or they don't want to bait for bears right. they yep. want to go out and hunt them on natural food sources and it's just, it's basically the same way you're going to hunt deer. You're going to go scout out. You're going to look for those forage areas. Now, the, the unique thing about bears in the fall, because they're going through a euphagic phase and they're trying to eat as much calories as they can in a day. Which would be like right now. Which would be on. right now. It's going to start like in mid-September through the end of October, maybe mid-November. So it's two or three months. They're just eating as much as they can. That way they can go into a den cycle in late November or mid-November, and they and the females can actually give birth to cubs in January. They can uh, raise those cubs, provide uh, nourishment for those cubs. They're not even going to come out of a den cycle until mid-April. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're spending all this resources in a den, so that takes a lot of fat yeah. reserves. Yeah, And so, uh, you know, and, and males are the same way. They're going to go into this euphagic phase where they're just gorging, gorging, gorging. Mm. So right now, like tomorrow, tonight, I think it's going to be the first freeze of the night, and it's going to get really cold the next couple of days. Mm -hmm. Does that trigger anything in them? Is it weather-based? Is it just they're, they know the schedule and the time of the year? No, I think it's really, you know, their den cycles, what I have seen is more dependent on food availability than anything else. Mm. So it's the inverse of what most people would think. If there is a really good mass crop out there, a lot of food available, then they're going to stay out longer. Okay. And most of the time in Arkansas, in the mountains, most of the time it's going to put their den, where they start to go into their den cycle, towards the latter part of November. Okay. Okay, so... If there's a good crop. If there's a good crop. Okay. Now, if it's a real lean mast year and there just aren't, isn't hardly any mast then a lot of those bears may actually be in a den cycle by the time modern gun season gets here, early right. November. And a couple of years ago, uh, when we had a record harvest year, I think I honestly think there was a lot of females already in a den cycle by the end of October. Because you have to think, a bear in the bear world, it's all about energy conservation yeah. and energy use and they then in a response to food availability it has nothing to do with the cold a lot of people think oh. they den because of the cold well, yeah. no they den because typically in arkansas and these types of you know ecosystems there is very little food in the winter months from late november until march there just isn't right. anything there yeah. So bears have evolved into this feast and fast lifestyle, and it's a lot easier for them to get really, really fat mm -hmm. in the summer and fall, mm -hmm. sleep it off yeah. for three or four or five months, live off your fat reserves, and then come out in the spring and start eating again. Mm -hmm. So it's like they're playing an equation game. It's yes. basically like Absolutely. there's not enough food available, so why mm -hmm. would I expend all my energy looking right. for food? I'll just I'll sleep. And go yeah. into hibernation, but actually, you were just saying before we started recording, it's not a true hibernation. We always grew up here, and yeah. bears hibernate. What what do, what do they actually do? Yeah, bears are actually estivators, which means they don't go into a true hard 
a catatonic state like a groundhog does. You know, you're driving around in Arkansas in March on the highways, and you always see groundhogs standing on the side of the road eating green stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, they just come out of a hibernation. Groundhogs are true hibernators, (coughs) which means that they lower all their body processes down, including their body temperature, to a point that they're in a catatonic state. Bears will lower a lot of their body processes down their heart rate, their meta- their pulse rate, their metabolic uh, metabolic rate, mm-hmm. but they don't lower their body temperature down. Okay, that maybe a degree or two. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So by not being a true hibernator, bears can arouse instantly, at which they always do when we do our winter den work. You know, our den surveys. We go in to dart a female. They're always awake. They hear you crunching in the leaves. They smell you. Something's going on, and they wake up, and they're always looking at you. They're fully aware of what's going on. And so, I mean, you know, females, are if they have cubs in January, they're going to be routinely cleaning up after the cubs in a den, mm-hmm. uh, just like, a, you know, a female dog does. She cleans up after their her litter and stuff. So... And she's going to be moving around a little bit, but they'll go through hours, maybe a couple of days, where she's really lethargic and in a torpor. And the cubs, all they have to do is just eat and sleep. Mm. So. What did you say? Torpor? Torpor. T-O-R-P-E-R? T-O-R-P-O-R. O-R. Torpor. And what, and what is that? It's just a, it's a really, really deep sleep. Okay. Uh, basically what it is, like a super deep REM sleep. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. They're catching Zs. Yeah. Real they hard. Are. They're catching Zs. So when you guys do these den projects, or you said you, you're darting bears in the December mm-hmm. hard winter months, yeah. you're actually walking into their den. Is it a historic den, den site that you know where bears will be? Well, we know or? where they are because they're out equipped with radio telemetry collars. I mean, oh, okay. you know, in the... Uh, uh, a lot of people think that bear dens are big caves, and typically they're not. Uh, usually, uh, they'll wherever it is, they will always the females will always rake a whole bunch of leaves around from a big circle around the entrance and pull it in there as a big insulation mm. uh, nest, so mm. to speak. Now they'll den on top of the ground in a brush pile. They'll dig out under a root ball of a tree and make a nest. They'll get in a crevice in the Ozarks or under an overhang or something like that. But normally it's a very tight, restrictive place because it's more energy efficient that way. Yeah. They'll even climb up in tree cavities and den in trees. It's not like a big open cave that you'd imagine because a lot of heat would probably get out and... Right. So is now, it, I won't uh, say that they won't do that, right. but that is just not typical. Up in Sillamore, you know, some of our bears are in these big cave systems. I mean, you got bats and cave salamanders and a mm-hmm. crazy bears in the back of one of them, you know. Is it typically off, like, the beaten path or, are, you know, deer and other wildlife walking around them? They know, hey, there's, oh, yeah. there's I mean, bear dead. That, that doesn't yeah. bother them. Okay. I mean, you know, they... I've had them in the Ozarks and Washtals both den within 50 or 60 yards of a road. Really? Wow. Yeah. Now it's making and me wonder if we walk go by... by. Well, you know, they actually say that. I mean, even though the females are fully aware of what's going on, most of the den sites that we go to, whether it's a dugout under a tree or something, and if you weren't able to readily recognize what a den site looked like, you know, looked like someone had been around with a leaf rake raked up and you see a 
kind of the hole. It may not even be a big hole. Yeah. She may have a bunch of leaves and stuff pushed up in front of it, and you may not even be able to see her. Uh, but if you weren't able to recognize a den site, most people would literally hike within a few feet of them. Wow. And she would be sitting there watching you and listening, and she would never make a sound, and she'd just wow. let you walk right by. Wow. Is it typically it's kind of haunting? Yeah. <laughs> are you are you typically able to see in there, or is it completely closed off like you wouldn't be able to see yeah. in? Well, it kind of depends. I mean, a lot of times with yearlings, they'll get further back, a little bit harder access mm-hmm. uh, just to protect the yearlings. If she has cubs, usually cubs are a lot more shallow uh, dance for whatever reason. I mean, it's not like the cubs can't climb out of it or climb, and you know, I mean, they'll go up. 30 feet up in a tree and then in a tree cavity 30 feet off the ground. And, you know, when those cubs are seven pounds, seven and a half pounds in March, you'll get pictures of them climbing down, climbing 30 foot down a tree when they're seven pounds. Yeah. And then, you know, they'll go back up in at the end of the day and come back down in the next day and go back up. I mean, seven pounds. Yeah. And they're just little tree acrobats. How, How big are bears when they're born? About size of a Coke can. Coke can? Really? Five to eight ounces. Wow. You'd think they'd be yeah. so much bigger. <laughs> That's like the size yeah. of my pups that, we, that yeah. we just had about that size. Yeah, they're small. I mean, Jeez. you know, it's the, it's the most uh, nutrient-rich milk in the mammal really? world, land mammals anyway. Wow. Okay. And they'll grow a pound a week, maybe even a little more. Hmm. You know, it's a logarithmic scale, but in yeah. general, they're going to grow about a pound a week. Typically, when we do our den work, we don't want to do den work and handle cubs when they're less than about three pounds. I mean, we have done it before. So we try to hit that window of operation in the surveys when we think they're going to be between about three pounds and about six pounds. Okay. Uh, we don't want to handle them after seven pounds uh, just because they start getting unruly. I mean, their claws are literally like cat claws, and they're going to scratch you. They'll try to bite you even though they don't have teeth, you know. But they just start acting like little bears. Yeah, that's interesting. It's crazy to me that they can be born so small. I, I mean, you'd think they'd come out about the size of like a small dog. <laughs> yeah, or a baby. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Well, I yeah, mean, you know, by the baby. end of summer, uh, your average cub isn't going to weigh 25 pounds. Mm, okay. Yeah. They just don't stop growing like other animals would, no. you know. You said a they pound a week, going. well, they just keep going. Well, I mean, it's a logarithmic, yeah. logarithmic growth I know. scale. So. It's a pound a week for about two years. <laughs> well, for about six weeks. Or six oh, weeks, okay. and then it starts being two pounds yeah. a week. Three yeah, pounds okay. a week. Three, like that. yeah, or something like that. So, and you said you're doing all this with the cubs. That's to put the collars on them? Well, we're doing it to monitor reproduction and recruitment rate of the females. Okay. And so, uh, you know, we've been doing it for about 25 years in the agency. Mm-hmm. So it's a long-standing data set that we have, and it's very useful information. We can use those reproductive or recruitment surveys to tweak, you know, harvest strategies or seasons if we need to. You know, I mean... Uh, We've learned a lot through the years about management strategies with bears. Bears is always a more conservative approach to your harvest strategies or your management strategies because they have such low reproductive rates. I mean, if a female lives 20 years, you know, she's three to five years old before she becomes sexually active. Okay. So if she is 
able to reproduce until they're 20 and she starts at four, that's 16 years of productivity that one female has. However, on average in Arkansas, it's only two cubs per adult female every other year. Okay. So even though she has 16 years of productivity, she's actually only going to have cubs eight of those years. And it's only going to be two cubs per litter, which would be 16 cubs in a lifetime. And if the majority of those cubs, maybe 55, 60% are males, then you're talking about in an entire lifetime, she may only have four, five, six females. Mm -hmm. And that's every other year because, like you mentioned, they don't wean them off till like a year and a half after That's the right. second hibernation. That's right. Actually, they're weaned as far they're weaned in their first yeah. summer, but there's still a lot of learning that has mm-hmm. to do because they are very long lived animals. There is an extended period of maternal care. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like elephants live. I don't know how long elephants live a yeah. long time, but yeah. I mean, they're they stay with the the calf stays with the mom for three to four years. Wow. So, I mean, the longer the lifespan, typically the longer the duration of maternal care. Okay. So it's a learning process. And that's, you know, that's why we encourage hunters not to shoot sows with cubs. Mm -hmm. If they have cubs in the fall, those are cubs of that year. And so they were born in January. And even though if harvested late in the fall, if the mother was, would those cubs be able to survive? Probably. I mean, they will go ahead and den. They'd probably den together because they're siblings, and they would probably be okay. But it's just an added measure of Mm -hmm. survival uh, knowledge that they get going into that second den cycle with mom, spending that time with mom. And then when they come out, they're going to spend a month or two with her. Now, the males, she'll drive away. The females, she'll actually allow to stay within her home range. She doesn't allow them to stay with her, but it's her insurance policy that her prodigy will be able to. She knows she has everything in her home range of Berenice to survive. Yeah. So what better insurance policy could she have than allow her female daughters to her daughters to yeah. live in their backyard to so stay to around. That's yeah. crazy how smart animals are. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's all instinctual. No one taught them. Right. You know? But um, you mentioned something, though, that you just made me think of again. They, uh, a, a mom will push out the, the, you talked about like preventing inbreeding, basically. Mm-hmm. But you said that they're also allowing the daughters to stay nearby to one day breed with the later on like young males is that what you're kind of saying or well i mean whether or not together? males make it back to their original birthing area to establish a home range it may or may not happen okay you know we we, uh, we really don't have any information on that because we don't have any long-term movement uh, studies going on mm-hmm. uh but i mean is it conceivable that a that a young male could eventually make his way back to his birth range of his mother and breed his, I, I, yeah, it's, it's possible. Yeah. Sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That was just interesting because they're pushing him out. And, and then also another thing that you mentioned, I think while we were not recording um, before we started was talking about how, um, how aggressive, if you have two dominant males in one area, mm-hmm. how aggressive they can be. And they'll actually kind of barbaric, but they'll actually eat cubs. Right. They will. If they have an opportunity to kill, it's called infanticide. Uh, you know, in a lot of bear 
populations in some of the northeastern states, uh, especially the, some of the really highly dense bear populated areas, uh, uh, like uh, oh gosh, I'm, I'm not New York. Uh, Is the Appalachians? Do they have bears? New Jersey and places like that. I mean, it's where they have some really dense bear populations. Uh, okay. Infanticide can account as much as forty percent mortality rate. No way. Yeah. On a litter, like an entire litter, is that well, on 40% a, of a on litter? A population, the mortality rate on an age class. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, uh, but, you know, Arkansas's bear populations aren't really that dense, uh, comparatively speaking. Uh, so it's, it's just, it's not really a major mortality factor in Arkansas. Is it going to happen? Sure, it'll happen. And why, why do they do that? to bring that sow back into an estrus cycle that spring. And so basically, how does, how does that work? Like, what is that process? Why did, like, they're doing that to bring them back into estrus? Mm-hmm. Why would that manipulate that to happen? Well, I mean, if she has cubs of the year, say, uh, I'll give you a scenario. If uh, a female happens into an area or feeding site or something like that in late April, mm-hmm. and somehow or another she gets, say she gets hit by a car, or something like that crossing the road. Well, the cubs aren't going to leave her because they don't know any different. So is it conceivable that a big male could come by, see those cubs, mom's not around, and actually climb up a tree and kill those cubs? You know, not knowing that the mother's dead, but just not knowing, knowing that mom's not around. Mm. Uh, could Would he do that? He, could, he would. He yeah. might. Yeah. Uh, could he do that? Absolutely. And so in his mind, you know, in any wild population like that, it's survival of the fittest. Yeah. I mean, like you say, it does sound barbaric. Yeah. But, you know, that's him ensuring that his genes will be passed right. on. Interesting, yeah. Because uh, so, he's actually repopulating by recreating, you know, getting that right. mom out of, that bear out of her mother, right. I guess, And idea. Without, without killing those cubs, she wouldn't come into estrus that summer. You know, during right, the breeding yeah. season, it would be the following year before she would come into an estrus cycle naturally. Mm-hmm. Wow! So, going back a little bit, unless you had another question. No, on no, that. no, no. That's I'm just digesting yeah. that. That's so interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it does. I mean, it. Yeah, it seems barbaric and harsh, but I mean, you know, that's it's the wild. That's the wild. Yeah. I mean, it, it's survival of the fittest. Yeah, definitely. No, so ahead. you said you guys encourage not to shoot the female with cubs in the fall. Right. We, okay. we ask people not to harvest females that have cubs with them. Okay. Let's say that does happen and the cubs are alone. You said they'll either den together by themselves. Will they ever join up with another litter or no. another bear? Okay. No, I mean, they'll, uh, you know, they, siblings would den together most likely. Mm-hmm. And even when they come out of that den cycle, like when, if their mom was with them or not, you know, a lot of times they're a year and a half old, uh, and, you know, they'll pal around together. They may kind of spend the summer not necessarily heel and toe with each other, but they're familiar with each other. They're right. siblings. They're not adults. It's kind of like teenagers. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to pal around in the in the summer. Okay. Yeah. You know. I, I just have always had in my head either, like, bears are in hibernation <laughs> together, like one individual bear or just a whole group of them? Well, I mean, bears are solitary animals, especially adults, Mm -hmm. uh, except females with family groups, females with cubs or females with yearlings early in the spring. 
Uh, other than that, other than the breeding season, bears are solitary animals. Mm. They don't pal around together. Interesting. Okay, I've got one for you. Yeah. You talked about um, right now they're in a euphagic phase mm-hmm. right now. They're just right. gorging themselves. Right. What are they eating right now? Like, what does a bear eat? What is, if you had to kind of split <laughs> up their diet, what, what are well, they munching year, on? Well, this year apparently they're getting pretty fat and happy on acorns. Okay. Because, uh, I made a prediction earlier back this summer, and apparently the place I was looking to do my mass surveys was not correct because I, I actually thought – that we would hit the heart, hit the quota pretty quick in the Ozarks yeah. because I just wasn't seeing the mast that I thought was necessary to affect the hunting season. I thought there's a little, it's a sparse mast crop, and you know I was seeing some on red oaks, but I, typically red oaks aren't going to drop until October. So I said, man, the quota is going probably going to get hit pretty quick. Little did I know the heat and the drought stressed all the oaks and all of them just rained their acorns out in about the, starting about the 15th of September. That's what we were talking about on the way down here. Yeah. I don't know much about trees or whatever, but it seems like Kyle mentioned it, that all the acorns are falling all at once. Yeah. And is that because of the drought and the yes, heat? and absolutely. Is, okay. Absolutely. I mean, a, a clear-cut indicator of that was uh, the w- one of the stand sites I have on on my bear lease has a, a few a bunch of black oaks around it, and really black oaks are a red oak species, but they're probably more palatable of the red oaks. Okay. The black oak is so in the in the palatability chart, black oaks are at the top of the red oak spectrum. For humans or for bears? For bears. Okay. For wildlife, period. Okay, got it. And so typically black oaks don't drop until October. For sure October, a lot of times mid-October. Opening day of bear season this year, September 17th, there was a black oak at one of my stands that was raining acorns. No way. Yeah. Wow. And it was the same with all oaks. I mean, all of them, the heat and that little heat wave and the drought that we had just prior to the season, Mm -hmm. that just, it was a coup de gras on the mass crop, and it all just dumped at once. So you thought the crop was going to be down, which would bring the quota number, or the number of bears harvested up. up. Yeah. But now that there's food everywhere they can go, they're not coming into bait They don't go to bait. No. And, you know, I've tried to convey this to bear hunters for years and years that, you know, bears are really special animals, and they're not much different than deer when it comes to food. Uh, but when Mother Nature provides, there is nothing that a person can put on the landscape that will compete with what they have evolved right. for eons eating. Mm-hmm. They're living by eating that. They're living before, by eating. Way before yeah. we were touching them, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Way before like a, we were here throwing donuts yeah, and everything else in a barrel, you know. <laughs> exactly. They were eating their steak back then, and it's still steak to what, them. What's so. in your bait barrel? You know, uh, I kind of switched it around this year. Uh, uh, normally... In a, in, a, in a given year without competing with a good mass crop, I just use dog food, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. A lot of people use sweets. But, I mean, honestly, when bears are easy to bait theoretically, it doesn't matter if you've got donuts or dog food. I mean, you could probably even do it with corn. But I just uh, dog food is something that's easy for me to handle. 
uh, and we can we have been able to get it in really big bulk supplies, uh, you know, a ton or two of it, mm-hmm. you know, for a pretty reasonable cost, and it's just easy to handle. Yeah, bear more worried about getting all the food in one area rather than what the food is, I guess. Right. Well, I mean. Yeah, bears are bears are extremely lazy. Yeah, in nature, mm-hmm. in their nature. Yeah, and so I mean, uh, it's kind of like uh, you know they would rather just pull up to a corn feeder, tear the bottom off of it, and let it dribble out all the corn, and belly up to a corn pile and just sit there and eat corn. <laughs> yeah, you know they're not like a deer that if you have a deer feeder up and it throws corn out, throws a couple of handfuls out in a you know, a 30-square-foot right. area. Right. Deer will sit there for an hour and a half and pick up every little kernel. Yeah, one Bears won't piece do. They won't mess with that. That's way That's way too inefficient for them. Yeah, they've they got that equation going in their head, yeah. like how much energy do I have to do to get as much <laughs> exactly, nutrients? Exactly, that's right. And it's, it's always an energy equation with them. I mean, when the berry crop hits, when the blackberries hit, they want to wait off in the middle of a blackberry patch and sit there and eat for... 12 or 14 hours. Wow. You know. Dang. So it's just, uh, it's all about energy dynamics with bears, and they are masters at energy dynamics. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake about it. Have you started to get a, you know, deep relationship with bear? Like, do you still enjoy hunting <laughs> them? Because, it, I mean, do you eat bear, first of all? Absolutely. Everything? It's okay. a, if it's done right in the field and processed correctly, and I tell people this all the time, it will be the best game you will eat. Really? Really? Well, but so, you have to do those two things correctly. If you let it get too hot okay. in the field and let it sit there and render because you let it sit overnight and it's 90 degrees, you know, I mean, it's ruined. Uh, or if you if you get it out of the field quick, get it cooled down really quick uh, and get the hide off of it and get the meat quartered up into a cooler. And if you leave all the fat, the outside fat on it when you process it, It'll be funky. You got to remove every bit of the outside fat off of it because mm-hmm. bear meat actually has enough quote marbling in it. Yeah, has enough interstitial fat that you don't have to add fat to it. Mm, okay, you can grind it all up and for your hamburger, whatever, make your roast, make your whatever you want, uh, make with it. Uh, the only thing you can't do with bear meat that you can with something like deer is you cannot eat medium rare bear meat because they can carry trichinosis, so it needs to be cooked thoroughly. It doesn't mean it needs to be burnt. It just means it has to be cooked to 165 degrees, okay. kind of like pork used to yeah, be. Yeah, it's like well done. You know, no. just like wild hog. I mean, you wouldn't need a medium-rare wild hog pork chop. No. Absolutely not. Yeah. And bears are the same way. But those two things, if you do, do the, if you do those two things correctly, take care of it in the field, don't let it get too hot, and then process it without the extrastitial or outside fat, it will be the best game you will eat. Mm, that sounds cool. Yeah, I, so I want some of that. Kyle, so Kyle, he got his bear last year, and one, it took us forever to skin it. <laughs> I was, like, expecting just, you know, we're going to no. go through this just like a deer. No. Not even close, Why? man. It was no. hours. I, yeah. It felt like it took us forever, and we're like, how are we still not even close to being done? I don't if know. If you've ever skinned huge. a hog, anybody who's ever skinned a wild hog, but not skin to bear, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, we all know how if you skin your own deer, how you can just sheath a deer down. Right. And, you know, you can skin a deer in 15 minutes right. tops. Yeah. No, a bear, you will cut every square inch of that hide off of that bear. Yeah. 
and there's so much fat and you're you're trying to get the outside fat off of the meat. Yeah, or you can put it in a cooler. Or okay. what a lot of people do is put them in an ice chest, cover it with ice, tilt mm-hmm. the ice chest up and leave the spout open okay. and just keep ice on it for three or four or five, six days or whatever. You can do that with the fat on it. Oh, okay. But when it comes time to process the meat, you've got to remove all the outside fat. Gotcha. That's the real secret to it because okay. – I've met a lot of people over the past 25 years that have done it right, and they all say the same thing. It's the best game out there. And I've talked to a lot of people that haven't done it right, you know, and they say, well, it just tastes funny. Those are the people that I've talked to. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I I asked my question is if you eat them and if you enjoy to eat and harvest and kill an animal, but you also do it for a job. So you you have to love the animal. You know, I mean, uh, there's a... I mean, bears just carry a unique place, yeah. you know, with me. I mean, I've worked with bears in Arkansas for 27 years. And, uh, you know, there's years I could honestly uh, I could honestly go, I could care less if I harvest a bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I work with, I work with them. All, I mean, I have touched thousands of bears wow. in my career. Wow. And, uh, but, yeah, you know, they're... Gosh, they're tasty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. It, it is. I mean, if it's a choice of killing a bear and pro- and processing it and having my own bear meat or going to the store and buying beef, I'm going to try my darndest to get some bear. Yeah. Really? Yes. Heck yeah. Will that will that last you a, a whole year? I mean, bears are big animal. Are you? They are a big animal. You're able to eat on that, you know. For a while. But by the time you get the hide off and all the fat off, and they they have big heavy bone structure. I mean, you know, your your meat to weight ratio isn't anything like a deer. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I shot a four hundred pound bear, and I got. 65 pounds of meat off. Oh, yeah, right? all the you know? donuts and dog food, <laughs> yeah. all that fat on them. But, you know, on the other side of the coin, one of the really unique things about bear is it doesn't matter whether it's a male or a female. It doesn't matter whether it's young or old. They all taste the same. Mm, really? Yeah. Huh. I mean, bears aren't in a rut then. Yeah. Right. Uh, they're not drugged down by rutting behavior and stress and everything else like that. I mean, they're, they're in their prime of, quote, their physical fitness. Yeah. I mean, they're a fattened cat. Yeah, they have fat. Right. All, <laughs> your, all that marbling makes them taste good. Yeah. Well, it really does. But it's, yeah. they fat, have fat on them all year round. Like a buck will lose all of its weight, not, you yeah. know, not as much fat and as it would be early season. issues and stress and yeah. all that stuff that take place with deer that just have everything going against quality of the game meat. So yeah. it's... Do you eat steaks with it, or do you mainly, like, grind it up? Yeah, what's the go-to? Mainly grind it. I mean, we use it in tacos, spaghetti, anything you'd use ground meat for, soups, chilies. Actually, one of my most favorite things is to chunk it up and put it in a crock pot with a brown gravy Mm -hmm. and make bear tips over noodles or over rice. I'm I'm too hungry for this. (laughs) I'm hungry. I've done roast. Do a roast in a crock pot with potatoes and carrots and literally when it's said and done you can't tell the difference between a bear roast and some of the best chuck roasts you can put in a crock pot. No way. Yeah. Can you smoke bear or have you smoked bear? You know I've talked to people that have. Yeah. Yeah, because I I think in my mind, at least I've heard it compared to somewhat to pork, and like how you can do a sm- a smoked pork butt. Right? Could you do like a pork a pulled bear? Pulled- I, I think you could as long as you know you were 
you're diligent about getting it up to a certain temperature. Yeah. Uh, I, I've never smoked bear. I don't know how it would do. Yeah. Uh, I really kind of equate bear meat to veal. Okay. So, I mean, that's what it has the texture and consistency and flavor to me. Yeah. It's veal. Yeah. So can you make jerky out of it? If you... I suppose you could. Okay. I didn't know if that's have... technically not cooking it. It's just dehydrating it. Yeah. Right. Having that extra bit of fat, though, like when I think about making deer jerky, you want to get the pieces with the lean. Like you right. want really lean pieces mm-hmm. of meat. So if bear has natural marbling kind of throughout, I would... I wouldn't think the jerky. Yeah, would I mean, be a lot of people good. strip their jerky, and a lot of people, you know, jerky gun their jerky. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 that's one thing I've just never had. Yeah, is it? Uh, is it considered venison? Or what? What is bear meat considered? Like, you know, there's beef, pork, venison. Well, I mean, it's just a wild game. Just it's wild, a very okay. red meat. So, yeah, because right, venison it's it's just bear encompasses meat. deer, elk. Yeah, I don't know what all venison actually means. Oh, I didn't know that. Elk well, is venison. venison is deer. So. I thought elk is venison as well. So I just figured, like, I was about to say, I didn't know that if that's true. Well, we might have much of a, that yeah. Out. I'm not much of a. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm not, we might have to cut this out yeah. if it's not true. <laughs> if it is true, you're going to look really smart here, Adam. Yeah, you really are. We'll see. Because <laughs> I've just always thought venison was just like a game animal, like. Because that's just what I've always heard. Yeah. We'll see. What is venison elk just meat? Deer. That's what I thought, too. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, a deer is venison. An elk is elk. That's, a, yeah. Right. Is bear is bear. Venison comes from animals such as our native white-tailed deer, reindeer, moose, elk, and sev- several other non-native wow. animals such as wow. ra- red deer, axis, fallow, sea. So any cloven-hooved, any yeah. ungulate. Okay. Yes. Ungulate, yeah. Yeah. Good well, job. Sweet. Hey, man. Time, man. I was wow. right without even knowing. I learned it. something. I wow. learned something. Man. Whenever I started asking that, you looked at me like I was so dumb. <laughs> You're like, it's bear, brother. And that's why I was like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, it's not a deer. It's I'm a bear. glad you clarified. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. in my head, I just think venison. A bear gaming. does not have a cloven hoof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely not. <laughs> what I'm trying to think. Uh, what haven't what don't we know about bears i mean you know we think about like what we've learned and all the studies that you guys have and all the data that you guys have gained are there still things that we're trying to figure out about bears that we're doing projects on or maybe it'd be a good time to talk about some of the research projects yeah i mean uh you know bears are really kind of like any other animal i mean there's a there's a certain amount of just baseline conservation that you do as far as managing managing the species uh but a lot of those intricacies of each population are specific to their geographic location. Okay. So, in other words, uh, you may manage deer populations. Uh, you're going to manage them different in Kansas than you would in Arkansas sure. to get the same result. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, bear populations aren't really any different than that. Even though a bear is a bear is a bear, the way you manage bears in the mountain regions of the state is going to be drastically different than you would manage bears in the Gulf Coastal Plain. Okay. So you ask the question, what do we what do we not know about bears in Arkansas? Well, we know probably enough about our mountain populations to, I mean, obviously we're on a good track with them. We yeah. have a very good track record for yeah. the last 60 years with bears in the mountains. Yeah. What we are kind of a new a rookie at the game at is our Gulf Coastal Plain population. We opened which would a, be where? Which is okay. The Gulf Coastal Plain of Arkansas 
if you looked at Arkansas on a map and you drew a triangle from Little Rock down to the southeast corner mm-hmm. and from Little Rock down to the southwest corner to Texarkana, and that bottom center triangle of the state is roughly the Gulf Coastal Plain of the state. Okay. Okay, so that's where roughly where Bear Zone 3 is the southwest corner and Bear Zone 4, which is kind of the whole central part of the southern part of the state, uh, that's where we opened a bear season this year, which was a historical opener. Uh, We never had a bear season in Zone 3 and 4. And so, but in order to gather the information we need on that population, which is population densities, uh, habitat use, home range size, uh, reproductive rates, in order to gather all this information that we already know and have known in the mountains for 20 to 30 years. Yeah. In order to gather that down there, we have to have the same type of uh, science and research behind it, collaring adult females to monitor reproduction and recruitment in the winter. We also have GPS collars on them to monitor habitat use to determine seasonal and mm. annual home range sizes. Right. Because that makes a difference. And when you're talking about bear densities, you kind of have to know what home ranges are to be able to determine what densities are and how your habitat plays into all this. And so, you know, up in the mountains, a bear, an adult female may have a home range of five or six square miles. In the Gulf Coastal Plain, it may be three times that. Interesting. So if we're trying to get densities you know, equitable in the Gulf Coastal Plain to what they are in the mountains, you know, there may not be ever a chance we can have densities that high. Right. You know, it's so... It's completely different habitat. It's completely different habitat. It's completely different... Uh, I mean, everything is different about that population. Even though they're bears, I mean, everything is different. Their denning ecology is later in the year than it is in the mountains. And, uh, I mean, just everything's different. So when you ask what do we not know about bears, there's an awful lot we don't know about that Gulf Coastal Plain population, which uh, we started on it this summer. We started on a research project, and it will more than likely last for a few years. Okay. And so we kind of waded off into the hunting season and developing harvest strategies, but they're extremely conservative strategies. And the more information we gather on that population over the next few years, you know, the, the, the more likely the chance will be that we can liberalize the season. May, we may draw it back some. Yeah. We may get more conservative with it if we find out, hey, what we're doing isn't sustainable. Yeah. You're, Based you're on, testing. You're, you're learning. Right, yeah. Right. How's so, that going this year? For harvest and everything. <laughs> well, the season doesn't open in South Arkansas until December 10th. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. So, uh, but how's the research going? Harder than I ever in my life imagined it would be. <laughs> uh, there is one thing that is very evident with that Gulf Coastal Plain population. A, densities aren't near as high as they are in the mountains. Yeah. And B, those bears down there don't act anything like the bears we have in the mountains. What do you mean? Well, I mean, they're just, the behavior is different. They're just, they're just different. I can go up in the mountains at any given week in the summer and know where I need to trap, 
know how I need to trap and do that, and I can catch a bear at just it's not an effort. It's second nature. Yeah. So, Research scenario. So I mean, you've been doing it a long time too. <laughs> and I go down there and I'm just baffled. So what you're saying is you're just wow. chasing deer or bear around down there right now. Well, we are. I mean, we had to battle a lot of interference this year. There was probably the best mass crop they've had in the Gulf Coastal Plain in the past decade. Uh, it was a really good mass crop down there this fall, too. And probably the biggest hurdle we've had in South Arkansas is the fact that it's all private ownership. I mean, we don't have millions of acres of national forest to go run around on willy-nilly like we do in the mountains, you know. Yeah, that's true. It's all private land, and right. it's either individual owners or it's corporation owners, timber companies. And so when you're dealing with that type of scenario, I mean, Game and Fish just doesn't have willy-nilly authority to go on someone's land and do whatever we want. Right. You know, we have to build relationships with landowners or leases, and, uh, you know, we, we're at the mercy of those contacts to be able to even trap bears down there. Is it costing know? a lot of money then? Do you have to pay landowners to get permission to go trap No, there? we don't have to pay landowners, but, you know, just the nature of that type of yeah. project, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, a research project on that scale has significant costs. Yeah. I mean, just the collars alone, I mean, we purchased 15, uh, we purchased 15 GPS collars, and even though this project was almost solely funded through a crowdsourcing you know, contribution Mm. groups and teams. Uh, The 15 GPS callers, just the cost to build them alone was over $40,000. Wow. Really? Yeah. So Is that live time or how does that work? Is it? Well, I mean, it it has feeds, live feeds every day, Uh but when we collect the data and it's dumps, you have to program the dumps into the callers, and typically the dumps are once or twice a week, so... Mm. You know, are you looking at that at, like right as soon as you get it, and then dive not into yet? The data, I mean, there's or? not a lot that it can tell us right now. Okay. We only have six females collared uh, in the project, and uh, like I say, we've had a lot of hurdles this summer. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I kind of thought if you would have asked me four months ago, I would have said, "Oh yeah, fifteen collars in a couple of months. That's no problem." You're like, I can do that. Easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could do that with to do well, that. fifteen adult females to put a collar yeah. on. So, I mean, I could have been, I can do that with my eyes closed. But, uh, no, it's, uh, it is a bear of a different feather in that part of the world. And really it's the, it's the, it's the ownership issues. If we had a couple of million acres to run around down there and, and trap bears, I'm, you know, we'd probably have them out by now. Yeah. Well, so let's use this as an opportunity to plug. (laughs) If you need, so what, what what are you looking for? If you, if there's someone listening to this and they have access to, private land down in the Gulf Coastal Plain, mm-hmm. and they have a female bear population. Right. If they have a female showing up on cut on a camera with cubs or even that they think is a female, yeah, uh, yeah, have them contact me. Okay. I mean, uh, we've had numerous uh, media pushes through Game of Fish Facebook page, Game of Fish newsletter that goes out. Over the past couple of months, we've had several, right? Uh, you know, uh, requesting uh, people contact me via email, and uh, you know, let me know, send me some pictures. Now they have to be in one of the counties that we're trying to trap in, which okay. right now is is those south central 
counties in the state, whether it be uh, Ashley, Union, Bradley, Washita, Nevada, Cleveland, uh, Dallas, Grant, uh, any of those south central counties of the state, right? Uh, and we're you know we're trying to get two or three two or three bears collared per county. Uh, throughout the Gulf Coastal Plain to have a good distribution. That way we have, I mean, we don't want to, there's certain counties that have higher densities than others, like Dallas County. I mean, Dallas County's lousy with bear, but, you know, I don't want to put all 15 collars in Dallas County, you know, to cover an uh, 11-county area or zone. So, uh, yeah. And so then what, what does that look like? Say someone, say someone does, they reach out. What does the process look like? Do you pretty much come down there, you you look for sign, you start trapping, you collar the bear, then what are you kind of looking for? What's the what does the ongoing process look like if someone Well, wants to what do a lot of them want us to do is trap and relocate. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, they, they kind of let the air out of their balloon when I say, No, we're not taking it anywhere. I'm just gonna <laughs> collar it and turn it loose. We're gonna leave it right here. <laughs> right there. Man. Yeah. But that's what they do. If, the, if someone has a female and cubs, like, uh, coming to a feeder on camera or something, they they send me an email or something. I get the email. I'm going to contact them right then. And, you know, if it's recent, like, oh, yeah, I've had her coming every day for the past week or the past two weeks she's been here every day, there's a real good chance that, the you know, the field staff that we have down in that part of the country, if it's that hot of a lead in the county that we really want to call her a bear in, they're probably going to have a trap out there that afternoon. Yeah, mm. they're on it. Because it's one thing we've learned with those bears down there. They're so nomadic and they move around so much. You know, she may be at this one feeder for three or four or five days, and then if she leaves, she may or may not come back. Yeah. She may come back in 10 mm. days. She may come back in two weeks. We had one trap down there set at a location for five weeks. They had bears showing up every other day. She showed up. We put a trap down there, and it's been sitting there for five weeks. Wow. And then she just randomly shows back up and walks right into it. No way. Yeah. Those are snare traps? Usually, well, some or? of them are snares, and some of them are culvert-type cage uh, cage huh. capture. Nice. Yeah. Um, one, one question we didn't ask earlier, which I don't know. How, maybe you guys talked about it, and I didn't hear it. What's the estimated bear population in arkansas and then what about those two zones yeah well right now uh you know we really kind of figure statewide we probably have somewhere between five and six thousand bears statewide okay. uh the ozarks wow probably that's a long has way from the, the 50 however yeah. many years yeah. ago yeah Golly, that's insane well you know i mean there's a there's a couple of different i guess uh thought pattern or thought processes to that i mean there's a couple of different carrying capacities okay. there's an ecological carrying capacity which is what the landscape can sustain yeah and then there's a sociological carrying capacity which is what the people of the state of arkansas are willing to accept okay and bears are one of those critters that you know they they can invoke a lot of fear in people yeah i mean you know they don't understand bears so Naturally, if uh, even though maybe our ecological carrying capacity for the state may be double or triple what it is now, it could be 20,000 bears. But, you know, when everybody in the state of Arkansas has, you know, in May when all those yearling males and it's a drought summer and half the people in the state have bears showing up on their front porch eating their dog food and cat food, 
They tend yeah. to not be really, real, yeah. real high on having a, <laughs> yeah. a good, healthy bear population. Yeah. So, uh, and that's really what we are, you know, s- s- trying to sustain at this point. It's just a good, healthy population, but well within the sociological carrying capacity of the state. And we've probably hit that uh, balance probably a decade or so ago. Yeah. So you guys are pretty much just keeping it level at this We're point. trying to. With the exception of the Gulf Coastal Plains, right. there are certain areas where you're still trying to grow and expand right. the population. Well, I mean, there you know there hasn't been a bear hunting zone down there, or it hasn't been a bear season down there until this year. So, okay. uh, you know, and the, it's a very, very, like I said, it's a very conservative season structure. It's very late in the year. It doesn't open until December 10th. It is targeted at biasing the harvest that happens down there toward males. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hopefully the females will Makes be sense. in a den cycle by then. And so for most of the bears on the landscape are going to be males, and that's going to skew the harvest toward males. And really, that's really the only way you can bias the harvest on bears is, is start centering the season around the female denning ecology. Gotcha, gotcha. Hmm. Do you have a rough number on what you think is down there? A bear? We do. Uh, we think we, you know, could possibly have anywhere from two to 500 bears in the Gulf Coastal Plain. Okay. Uh, we did complete a study. Actually, it's just getting a final report this month of, uh, you know, of a study area in the Gulf Coastal Plain. And, uh, you know, probably the most alarming thing to come out of that study and uh, that study area and that estimate was it had a negative growth rate Mm. but what does that mean well uh, a a stable growth rate would mean as many animals are coming into the system or that is leaving the system through natural mortality okay so a stable growth rate a stable population is going to be one anything above one is going to be a growing population anything below one is going to be a declining population okay and the population modeling actually kind of figured that the growth rate of this study area, now I'm going to say there's, there's a difference. The study area that they studied where they did this research project had a negative growth rate. That doesn't mean the entire Gulf Coastal Plain has a negative growth rate. Mm-hmm. It just means their study area did. Okay. And that was as a result of some significant flood events and to uh, the five-year study. So uh, it's reasonable to understand why that study area probably had a negative growth rate. Yeah. So it was like 0.87. Okay. So, yeah. but anything less than one is a negative it's growth rate. technically negative. Right, a declining. That's, that's interesting. It's a, yeah, declining. I mean, that's statistics, though. You're talking about sample right. size and any time. Oh, yeah, sample you know, size and the whole study area, area around so. the, the test area could have spiked, too, right? They could have right. moved over. Exactly. It I mean, you could have moved two counties country. over. You yeah. know, that was uh, a lot of it was in Ashley and uh, Felsenthal and the lower White River and that part of the world cut off creek. But if you, you know, if you would have shifted that study over to Dallas County and Washita County and maybe those counties, your growth rate may have been 1.5. Yeah, right. You know, so uh, 
you know, I'm really hesitant to kind of talk statistics or study results, right. you know, on something like this without providing a disclaimer that people need to understand because you have a study area, that information isn't necessarily extrapolated across the entire zone. Right. Uh, that's just a piece of the puzzle uh, for the whole for the whole area. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Man, we've we've already covered so much. I don't even know where else we could go. I think I think, um, man, just so much uh, from the bears don't hibernate to what they're eating to like all the stuff that we've covered. I've already learned so much more that I kind of thought I already knew a little bit about bears, but I really didn't. Yeah, I tell you what, they are they are fascinating animals, and they certainly carry a passion in my heart, and they always have. I mean, I've worked with bears in Arkansas for 27 years, and I still remember the very first bear that I came upon uh, when they were doing the initial population study in the Ozarks and Marshitals, and they were doing it up at Cass, Arkansas, uh-huh. up on the National Forest up there. And the first year I worked on them as an undergrad, I volunteered half the summer and drove up there just to be a part of it, you know, Man. and didn't get paid anything. And and I can still vividly remember the very first bear I got to approach, and, and they darted, well, they, they darted with a jab stick. Back then we used eight-foot jab sticks. <laughs> oh, really? And I was just a fly on the wall watching. <laughs> You're not even shooting a projectile? No, no, no. You had a, a pole with a needle oh, on the gosh. end of it. So, you know, an eight-foot pole <laughs> yeah. with a needle on the That's end of it. That's not quite enough. So, but I mean, you know, it's uh, it's stuff that makes a lasting impression with you. I can still yeah. remember out of the out of the literally thousands of bears that I've handled over my career, I can still remember that very first bear. Wow! And I knew from that point, if I had the opportunity, that's what I wanted my career to be. Yeah, that's awesome. That it's is pretty so cool. sweet. That Lived is. out the twenty-seven years. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Man, that is so cool. Well, Myron, we we really appreciate you having us down here. I appreciate and, it here, man. Know. I I've really enjoyed it. I enjoy the opportunity to talk to folks about bears anytime I can. Yeah, absolutely. And if anyone has questions, um, and and maybe we didn't ask something that they wanted to know, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Usually email. Okay. I mean, uh, my email is the same as every other game and fish employee. It's myron.means at agfc.ar.gov. Okay. So every employee in the agency has their name, first name, dot, last name, and then the agfc at ar.gov. Okay. So, uh, but I said agfc at. It's yeah. agfc dot. <laughs> At agfc.ar.gov. Let's get that. At we'll, we'll, link, yeah. we'll link it down below. We can put that out. Yeah, let's. We'll add that in there. the best way. I mean, right now, uh, you know, at certain times of the year, I mean, I may or not may or may not be able to check my email for a few days just because field season's real heavy or something. Yeah, but that's usually the best way. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually that made me think. The first time I called you and we talked on the phone, I was like. Hey, Myron, how's it going? You're like, pretty good. I just caught a bear. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is the coolest guy in the world already. Like, this is amazing start to this conversation. So it's been a, it's been a pretty amazing journey. And, uh, you know, we'll have to get you out on a, we'll have to get you out on a den trip. That's, that's really some of the, the really sweet, low hanging fruit yeah. of the program is, and it's, uh, you know, it's a bucket list item for so many people. Oh, and, yeah. you know, we try to take uh, as many people as we can in the given year. Of course, there's always very limited availability. Sure. 
but you know, it's uh, it's just one way to really educate people about the program and all that. And uh, it's uh, it's a pretty remarkable thing to be able to sit there and hold a, a five pound bear cub and see the fruits of what good conservation is all about. Yeah, that's right. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's I'll so take cool. you up on it any day that you <laughs> ask me. <laughs> yeah. So that that would be awesome. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much. Uh, Absolutely. For our, for our listeners, if you guys like this episode, make sure you let us know, share it on social media, and uh, if you really liked it, leave us a five-star rating and review, send it to us, and we'll send you a free sticker. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is presented by Inland Outdoors. Hosted by Kyle Veet, produced by Daniel Matthews, and co-hosted by Kyle Plunkett, Adam Treese, and Josh Launch. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star rating, a review, and sharing it with someone in the Ozarks. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.